Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another emergency edition of the Glory UGA podcast, brought to you, of course, by our great friends at MyBookie. We are now just a little bit past the halfway mark of the 2023 college football season, so there's plenty of time, guys, for you to still turn football season into winning season by signing up for a brand new account at mybookie.ag. New users can use our promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit or use promo code 200cash to get a straight cash bonus on your first deposit. The choice is yours, but make sure to bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with mybookie. All right, guys. I am your host, Tyler. You know the drill. And this is not a show that I was planning to do. This is not an episode that I particularly want to do because I do not like talking about the prospect of Brock Bowers missing an extended period of time. But now that we do have more clarity with the official word coming down from the university today that Brock is indeed going to undergo tightrope surgery for a high ankle sprain that he suffered on Saturday against Vanderbilt, which will cost him four to six weeks and will create some very serious challenges for our team. I've got to grip my teeth, suck it up, and get on here and talk about it because I know that it's on all of your minds. And it's kind of a big deal when you're talking about the best player in college football missing over a month of action. So let's go ahead and dive right in, guys. I have no idea how long this episode's ultimately going to end up being because I'm just kind of going off the top of my head here, stream of consciousness, just trying to get this episode out to you guys as soon as I possibly can, kind of as an emergency instant reaction to this news. But four to six weeks, that is the word. I do not know how familiar you are with the tightrope surgery. I, like probably a lot of you, was vaguely familiar with it. I know that Tua famously came back from it in 28 days to play the national championship game. I know that it has become an increasingly popular way to treat a high ankle sprain that takes the typical recovery time from six to eight weeks down to four to six weeks. But obviously with this news today, I did a fair amount of research today on the tightrope surgery as any self-respecting host of a Georgia-centric podcast would do. And essentially, when you have a high ankle sprain like Brock has suffered, what happens is the tibia and fibula that are generally connected there together the high ankle sprain, what it really does, the reason it causes issues, is that it damages the, the soft tissue between the tibia and the fibula, and that causes those bones to separate, and that is a problem. That leads to the instability, the pain, all the stuff that we don't want to happen. So the goal of the tightrope surgery 
is to basically join those two bones, the tibia and fibula, back together so that they can heal faster than they normally would on their own without being pulled together with this tightrope surgery. The tightrope surgery itself, the way it actually works, is the doctor's going to go in there, and it takes like 25, 30 minutes based on what I've read today, and they repair the fibula, but they attach this like plate, they call it a fixation plate, they attach that to the fibula, and that plate's held in there by surgical screws, like these screws, I don't know if they're metal screws, but some sort of screws that hold that in place. And then after that has been done, what the doctor's gonna do, and that, that plate has these like little holes in it. And one of those holes, the doctor will drill a small hole through that, through the fibula, and then through the tibia, and then the doctor is going to insert this polyethylene cord, aka the tightrope, through that hole, through the fibula and the tibia, put it through there, pull the end of the tightrope tight, and then tie a small knot there, which is going to kind of stabilize that joint and pull the, the tibia and the fibula together to aid in that healing process. So that's what happened to Brock today. He had the surgery today. That's what we're dealing with. And according to most estimates, according to what we've seen in the past from different players, it's a four to six week recovery process. Four being a very generous, optimistic best case scenario and six weeks probably being worst case scenario. So what would that mean? Four weeks, if we're going with, with that best case scenario, would potentially, very potentially, have Brock back ready to play against Ole Miss, our final home game of the season. I think that is a bit of a stretch. I personally am not banking on that happening, and I would encourage you guys to not get your hopes up there because that is being highly optimistic. I know that, again, Tua Tungabailoa came back in four weeks, like to the day, but he was also playing quarterback. He's not running around as much as Brock is going to have to do. He's not having to anchor his feet in the ground and block as much as Brock would have to do. It's a different position. Let's just be real. The quarterback position is just not as physically strenuous of a position as the tight end position. It's just not. Now, Brock has essentially been a bionic man his entire career, which is devastating. That's why it's so devastating that he's gotten hurt here, is that I just used to never thought it was possible, right? And I've always said he does have those Nick Chubb-like traits where he's just an incredible worker. And I know, I have zero doubt in my mind that he's going to attack this rehab with as much vigor as he possibly can. But you can't defeat biology. Your body doesn't recover how your body recovers, and you just never know exactly how that goes. I know that Brock will do everything that he possibly can to get back as fast as he possibly can, but you're at the mercy of your body. So personally, I am hopeful that he's back for Tennessee. I still think that might be a bit of a stretch. I, I hope that he's back for that game. I just I don't know how confident I am there. I am confident that if we are fortunate enough to still find a way to make it to the SEC Championship game, that he will be back and able to play in that game because that would be seven weeks removed. And the, the other thing you have to factor into this, guys, is it's not just, okay, is your body recovered? That's obviously a huge step. You need your body to be physically cleared to play, but there's also going to be a conditioning process. There are things that we can do to help him stay in some sort of physical conditioning. You can have him do some water, underwater running, all that kind of stuff. You can have him do some bike work once he gets a little bit further along in the healing process, but it's not the same as actually going out there and playing football. So it might take him a week or two of practice to get back in that shape. Now, I'm sure if once he gets cleared to play, Brock can say, coach, I'm playing. He might be on some of a snap count, I don't know how that will work out. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But I, I'm very confident that if we get to the SEC Championship game, that he will be able to play in that game and be the, the effective Brock Bowers that we've always known him to be. It's just right now a matter of getting to that point, of finding a way to continue to win these games when, oh, by the way, our schedule heats up down the stretch with the most difficult games that we are going to play all season long. We're going to have to find a way to win those games without Brock Bowers and get to the point where him returning for an SEC Championship game is 
an actual realistic possibility. Because if we don't get there, it's a moot point. But anyway, that's kind of where we are from a timeline standpoint. Now let's get into how this is actually going to impact this Georgia football team on the field. Now I want to start by saying this, and I alluded to this, I think I flat out said this on the recap episode when Curtis and I broached this subject. We didn't have the full information that time. We knew he was injured. We didn't know exactly what it was. Now we do, and I want to further address it. But I did say this, and I'll say it again because I, I truly believe this. No team is going to be better without Brock Bowers. Just understand that. You all know that. You don't need me to tell you that, but it still needs to be said. I want to say that here at the outset. No team, including our team, is going to be better without who I believe is the best player in all of college football. However, saying that, it also does not necessarily have to be a death blow to this team's national championship aspirations. As good as Brock is, and he is amazing. Again, the best player in college football, in my very humble opinion. If this injury did not happen, I think he was on a trajectory to at least put himself firm in the conversation as the greatest Georgia football player of all time. I know the old heads would fight me to the end of time, same as Herschel Walker, and maybe it is Herschel Walker. I never get to see Herschel Walker in my lifetime. I think I got to say Rob Bowers. But wherever you rank him all time among Georgia Bulldogs, he is clearly one of the very best to ever wear the red and black. But this is a team with 85 scholarship players. And with those 85 scholarships, we have amassed one of the two to three most talented rosters in the entire United States of America. Again, our roster is not better when Brock Bowers is not an active part of the team, not actually playing on the field. But when our roster is as talented as it is, we are still very capable of going out there and beating every single team on our schedule the rest of the way. I would still argue that we are better, even without Brock Bowers, than every team on our schedule the rest of this season. And that is all that we have to be. We do not have to be as good as we were in 2022. We do not have to be as good as we were in 2021. Hell, we don't have to be as good as we were against Kentucky. We just have to be good enough every Saturday to beat the team in front of us. And while I do believe that losing a player of Brock Bowers' caliber and a player that is as central to what we do offensively as Brock Bowers is, that is absolutely 100% going to reduce our margins. I think to argue otherwise would frankly be quite silly. Be prepared for these next five games to be closer than they would have been without Brock Bowers. If indeed he misses five games. We'll see how many he misses, but however many games he misses, be prepared for those games to be closer than they would have been without with Brock Bowers in the game. Be prepared to sweat it out a little bit more. It's been a minute since we've really had to do that, but when you lose a guy like Brock, I think it's reasonable to expect that to be the case. Our margins are going to be reduced. That's That, to me, seems just clear. But again, all that we have to do is be better than the team that we're playing each weekend, each Saturday. Just be better than that team. And winning by three points or winning by 50 points, you still win the football game. Survive in advance has kind of been the mantra I've adopted for this team throughout the entire season. We momentarily for one week hit the pause button on that mantra with that blowout victory over Kentucky where we just absolutely destroyed the Wildcats. But I'm bringing it back. Without Brock, I'm bringing it back. Survive in advance, baby. Win football games. I don't care if it's ugly. I don't care if we drop in the rankings. I don't care if we drop to two or three or four. I don't care as long as we still have a zero in that loss column. That's all that matters. And as good as Brock is, as fantastic of a football player as that young man is, we are still capable of getting the SEC Championship game 
unscathed. It's certainly less likely that that happens now without Brock, but it's still, in my opinion, more likely than us dropping a game somewhere along the way because we are, again, in my humble opinion, better than each of these five teams the rest of the way. We could lose to Florida. We could lose to Missouri at home. We could lose to Ole Miss at home. We could definitely lose at Tennessee. I don't think we could lose to Georgia Tech, but I mean, hey, it's college football. Crazy things happen. We could lose any of those games, but we are better than all of those teams. We should not lose those games. Even without Brock, we should not lose them. They'll be tougher. They're going to be more competitive games than they probably would have been, but they're still games that we absolutely should win. And in just a second, guys, I'm going to dive into exactly how this is going to affect our offense, specifically what is going to look like? How do we adjust things to compensate for this loss? But first, I do want to quickly remind you once again about our great friends at MyBookie. There is no more trusted sportsbook out there than MyBookie, guys. Trust me on that. I've tried a bunch of them. MyBookie is clearly the one that I trust. It's the one that's my go-to. And in MyBookie, it doesn't matter if the team you bet on is up or down in a game. You can just cash out early. You don't have to worry about it. You can take that money, run with it, do what you want with it. Or you can just... Bet live. Bet the live lines to come out on the winning side. Use my bookie for a ton of different options. You've got daily odds boost. They've got huge prize pool contests. They have single game parlays. Every option you want, they've got it for you guys. Plus, my bookie right now, on top of our exclusive UGA promo code, that will give you a 50% bonus on top of your initial deposit for all new users. You also have the option to get a cash bonus with the promo code 200CASH that will give you a 10% cash bonus up to $200 straight cash into your account with your initial deposit. Again, that's promo code 200 cash. So jump in on the action today, guys, at MyBookie because MyBookie is the best sportsbook out there, guys. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with MyBookie. All right, guys, let's talk some specifics here. Let's get into this, this offense. How does losing Brock Bowers affect this Georgia offense? Well, first, let's talk about what having Brock allowed us to do. You guys know how much 12 personnel we've used. And I know that the vast majority of you out there know what I'm saying when I say 12 personnel, but maybe for some of our newer listeners or people who aren't exactly familiar with that terminology, and when you hear me say it, you don't exactly know what I'm saying. What I mean by 12 personnel is one running back, two tight ends. The first number, we're talking about personnel, guys. The first number is how many running backs you have in the game. Second number is the number of tight ends that you have. You are able to have five eligible receivers, potentially, right? So if you have one tight end, one running back, two tight ends, that's three. How many receivers do you have left? You got two receivers, right? If you're in 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end, that means you have three receivers out there. That's five in total, right? We have run a lot of 12 personnel for a couple of years now. In fact, back in 2021, we ran a fair amount of 13 personnel when we had John Fitzpatrick along with Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers. We didn't do that much at all last year outside of like goal line situations. We haven't done really outside of goal line situations this season. In fact, when we've gone 13 personnel, we haven't brought in an extra tight end. We've brought in an extra offensive lineman who basically acts as a tight end. We're bringing Chad Lindbergh. That's who we've brought in. But that's been almost exclusively a goal line personnel package this season and in last season as well. So we have made 12 personnel a significant part of our offensive system. In fact, the last two years, 2021-2022 National Championship seasons, we ran 12 personnel more than 50% of the time. So it is clearly a major part of what we do offensively. And when you have the tight end room that we have, when you have Darnell Washington, Brock Bowers, and you have Brock Bowers and Oscar Delp now, who are all three guys that are effective blockers, 
Now, no one's as effective a blocker as Darnell Washington was. I know we'll get to Oscar Dub here in a few minutes. I know a lot of fans out there have been frustrated with his blocking ability. I think Oscar has certainly improved in that regard, but he's just not Oscar. He's not Darnell Washington. We'll get to that. But having guys like that, that are competent blockers, but also dynamic threats in the pass game, when you run 12 personnel with them on the field, it puts defenses in conflict because they have to determine how are we going to defend this personnel grouping. If we go with heavy personnel, then that creates a lot of mismatches in the pass game that Georgia is going to be able to exploit. We'll get, we'll be able to get Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington or now Oscar Delp matched up on linebackers and safeties in a way that creates opportunities for explosive plays in the passing game for us. Now, when that happens, we start hitting teams vertically down the field in the pass game and creating explosive plays out of 12 personnel. Well, what do they do? Well, okay, you know, we got to defend that. So we're going to go with lighter boxes. We're going to go with an extra DB, bring our nickel package on the field and try to defend Georgia that way because we're trying to basically treat Brock Bowers as a receiver, which he kind of has that skill set, right? Well, when they do that, what are we able to do? Well, with two tight ends who are not up or Brock Bowers, who are not Darnell Washington, but still competent blockers, we're able to run the ball down your throat. So it puts the defense, again, in conflict. And there's really no answer for that unless they can just absolutely stone us up front. And really, no one has been able to do that against us for a couple of years now. 12 personnel just creates so many mismatches for us, and it makes us right. Whatever the defense does, however they try to respond to our 12 personnel, we have answers to it, and we can create mismatches out of that. If they bring an extra DB on the field, we have a mismatch in the run game. If they keep extra linebackers and defensive ends, outside linebackers on the field, we have mismatch advantages in the pass game. And that is a big reason why our offenses under Todd Munkin were as effective as they were. It's a big reason why our offense under Mike Bobo this season has been as effective as it has been. But when you lose Brock Bowers, naturally, the question becomes, is Georgia going to be able to continue to run 12 personnel the way that it has been for essentially four years running now? Personally, I do find it difficult to believe that we are just going to completely abandon 12 personnel, even without Brock. It's just too central to what we do, whether it's the run game, whether it's the RPO game, whether it's just philosophically trying to create mismatches structurally. It's just a huge part of what we do. And yes, the bye week is coming at the right time. It does give us an opportunity to have that extra week to adjust and reassess things and figure out who do we want to feature now? How do we want to adjust the offense? Do we want to continue to run more the same amount of 12 personnel? Do we want to go with more 11 personnel? How are we going to respond to the loss of Brock Bowers? It does give us time to do that. But at the same time, it's only one extra week. And it's very difficult, by week or not, to completely reinvent your offense in three practices, which is essentially what we're going to have. We have three extra practices. So that's going to give us enough time to completely reinvent what we do? No, it's not going to do that. That's not going to be the case, guys. Now, running more 11 personnel is something that we can easily do. It's it's in our in our offense. Like We run a fair amount of 11 personnel. When we're not in 12 personnel, we're usually in 11 personnel. And I don't have the numbers sitting here in front of me, but based off my observations this season, just my naked eye observations, I do believe that we have run more 11 personnel this season than we have the past two years. And quite frankly, I think that we've been very successful when we have done so, especially in the run game, which I'll get to here in a few minutes. 
So sure, I, I, I certainly do believe that we are going to run more 11 personnel. I think you will see a fair amount of the grouping of Rara Thomas, Dominic Lovett, and now Lad McConkie. Now that he's working himself back from injuries, played three straight games. Now has he played three full games? No, but he's working himself back into form. Now he has extra bye week to work up, work with, to get better, to heal up, to rest up, all those things. I'm hopeful that Lad will be, I don't know if he'll be 100% at any point this season, but close enough to where he can go out there and play a full game for us. And if that's the case, that's a pretty damn good group of receivers out there, guys. In fact, that, that would be three receivers who were the leading wide receivers. I know Brock was our leading receiver overall last year, but Lad was our leading wide receiver. There'd be three guys who led their team from the wide receiver position last year. Rara Thomas was the leading receiver for Mississippi State last year. Don McLevitt was the leading receiver for Missouri last year. And Lad McConkie again, was our leading wide receiver last year. That's a pretty damn good group. And then you supplement that with Marcus Ruby Jackson, who's having a breakout year for us as an actual receiver going out there and making plays for us in the pass game. Arian Smith, who has kind of been MIA the past couple of weeks. When he's got opportunities, he hasn't really delivered. Had two drops, had a drop against Kentucky. Had one snap, if I remember correctly, offensively against Vanderbilt. And obviously had the drop there. Carson put the, put on the money. It should have been a catch. Nice explosive play, and he dropped the football. But he's still capable of making explosive plays for us. Dylan Bell has been a playmaker in the backfield and at wide receiver. CJ Smith's done some nice things. We have good options at receiver, guys. And specifically... If there's one player who I think might benefit the most from Brock Bowers' loss over the next couple of weeks, I think it might be Dominic Lovett. I know people want to point to Oscar Dupp, and I'm going to get to Oscar here in a minute. I'm very high on Oscar Dupp. I think he's going to do some good things for us in the absence of Brock Bowers. But we need someone to really operate in the middle of the field the way that Brock Bowers is able to do on a consistent basis. Dominic Lovett out of the slot, absolutely can be that guy. Again, he was that guy for Missouri last year. He has the potential to be that guy for us this year. Now, he has not been that guy for us this point, in large part because we have Brock Bowers. We have built our offense around Brock. Now, I wonder you can say, well, that makes it really tough for us to, to operate without him when we lose him for a couple of weeks. And that is true. Again, that's, that is going to be a challenge for us. But we also have guys that have been featured part of their offenses in the past and guys that can be featured parts of this offense. To this point in the season, we have largely utilized Dominic Lovett in the RPO game. I mentioned it on the recap episode earlier in the week, I guess yesterday when, we were, when I recorded that, that Dominic Lovett at Missouri was a dynamic player from the slot, specifically running the slot fade. We have rarely used him in that regard this year. Why? Because we like to line up Brock in that position and do those things with him. That doesn't mean that Dominic Lovett cannot do that and cannot be an explosive player from that spot doing some of the things that Brock Bowers was doing. It just means that Brock is better at doing this. Brock is the best player in college football. But Dominic Lovett can still do those things from that slot position. Oscar Delp, from the tight end position, doing what Brock was doing, can do those things. Just probably not as well as Brock Bowers. But we saw Dominic Love, especially in the second half of that game when Brock Bowers was out of the game, become more of a featured part of our offense. More of a guy that we're trying to go to. And I'm telling you guys, in fall camp, it, go, even go back to spring practice, I was told multiple times by multiple different people that I know in and around the program that Dominic Love was uncoverable and that he was making play after play after big play in practice. Now, we have not seen that on the field of play, which ultimately is where it matters, but Dominic Lovett is that guy. He can be that guy. That player exists. He just hasn't been utilized like that in our offense this season because, again, we have this guy named Brock Bowers who is the best player in America and probably the best tight end to ever play college football. But let's talk about Oscar Dell. Let's talk about this guy. I, I've touched on him just a little bit here, kind of teased him a little bit. Let, let's dive into to Oscar Dell. I think people forget 
that Oscar Dell is a former number one overall tight end in the country. This guy is a legitimate playmaker. Now, here's the thing with Oscar Dell up to this point in the season. I know that there are a lot of people in the Georgia fan base, probably a lot of you, that are frustrated with what you have seen from Oscar Dell this year in terms of his proficiency as a blocker. And I admit, I myself have been quite frustrated at times with Oscar Delp's blocking ability because he has not been Darnell Washington. And that is the issue. We have been trying to utilize Oscar Delp this season in essentially the same role that we utilized Darnell Washington last year. And I don't know if you guys have noticed, but Oscar Delp is not Darnell Washington. The things that Darnell did for us in the blocking game, whether it's on the perimeter or in line, the past two seasons, the things that Darnell was built to do physically are quite simply not the things that Oscar Delp is built to do physically. His blocking ability is not what makes Oscar Delp a potentially special player at the college level. Oscar Delp is far more like Brock Bowers. That is his skill set. Now, is he Brock Bowers? No, Oscar Delp is not Brock Bowers. Please make sure you hear me when I say that. I am not trying to tell you that we're not going to miss Brock Bowers because Oscar Delp's going to be just as good as Brock was. I'm not telling you that. What I am telling you is that Oscar Delp's skill set fits far more with what we have been asking Brock Bowers to do in the way that we have been using Brock Bowers. That's what Oscar is. He is Brock Bowers light. That is his skill set. He is a pass catching threat. He's a great athlete that can go out there and make dynamic plays in the passing game. However, we have not been using him like that because we have this guy named Brock Bowers who's just a little bit better, right? And as I laid out earlier, 12 personnel has been so central to what we do offensively and to our offensive identity that we still want to run it. And Oscar is our next best option to have two tight ends on the field and be that guy that can kind of somewhat a little bit give us what Darnell gave us last year, just not nearly as proficient as what Darnell gave us, obviously. Now, I do want to give Oscar some credit here. Again, he's not... Darnell Washington, we know that. That's that's firmly established. But that guy has worked his butt off. He's gotten bigger. He's gotten stronger. And believe it or not, I know that he hasn't looked like Darnell Washington again, but he's gotten much better as a blocker this year than he was at any point last year. But I'm actually kind of excited now. I, it's tough to say excited. I don't know if that's the right word because it's tough to be excited when his opportunity comes at the expense of Brock Bowers and losing him for a couple of weeks. I would rather that not happen. But I am excited for Oscar and I'm excited to see what he can do being utilized in what I believe will be more of a Brock Bowers role, that tight end spot, that leading receiving tight end spot that Brock has kind of undertaken the last couple of years for us, last three years now, that's still a big part of our offense and that's not going away. And that's what Oscar can give us. He can be that guy, not as good as Brock Bowers, but he can be a very, very dangerous weapon for us as a receiver if given the opportunity to do so. That's what made the guy the number one tight end in the country come out of high school. It wasn't his blocking ability, but we've had to use him like that because we have Brock Bowers. Now with Brock out of the equation for the time being, Oscar is now going to have the opportunity to actually be utilized in the way that made him a special player, a top 50 prospect, the number one tight end in the country coming out of high school. And when he has been given opportunities to catch the football this season, he's made the most of them. He's looked good, guys. He's made plays when he's been given the opportunity. Now, obviously, a lot of that has come with Brock Bowers being the guy that's drawing a lot of attention from the opposing defenses, but Oscar can make plays in the passing game, guys. He's a good athlete. He is a mismatch for safeties and linebackers, just like Brock is. And I think the rest of the country, the rest of the SEC is about to find out just who Oscar Delp really is. All those Florida fans sitting there licking their lips right now over the fact that Brock Bowers is not going to be playing in that game. 
might just be in for a reawakening when Oscar Delp makes a couple of plays against them in Jacksonville here in a couple of weeks. Now, the next thing I have to address here is, okay, if so if Oscar can at least adequately fill in for Brock Bowers and give us some of the things in the past game that Brock gave us, what about the other tight end spot? If we're going to still run some 12 personnel, what does that look like? Who fills in for Oscar Delp? Who becomes the Oscar Delp when Oscar Delp has to become Brock Bowers for the time being? Well, the answer is pretty clear. It's going to be Lawson Lucky. You guys know the name. This is a guy that going back to spring practice was making waves early on. Looked like he was going to be an early contributor for us and be involved in this offense and, and get some real meaningful playing time. And then he suffers an injury in fall camp, sets him back. He misses essentially all of fall camp. He got hurt in the first scrimmage, missed the rest of camp, missed the first part of the season, now been back for a couple of weeks. He had a high ankle sprain, just like Brock is dealing with right now. He's been back and practicing for a couple of weeks. He's played in each of the last two games, had to play some meaningful snaps because variable when Brock went out. So this is a talented player. Oh, by the way, I mentioned Oscar Dupp, former number one overall tight end in the country, lost unlucky, former number two tight end in the country. He's a very capable player. He's a, he's a guy a lot like Oscar and Brock that can do two things. He can make plays in the passing game. I don't think he's quite the overall athlete that Brock and Oscar are. Now, Brock's in a, in a level of his own, right? He's in a tier of his own. He, he's just different. But Oscar's a really good athlete in, in his own right. I just don't know if Lawson's quite that type of athlete, but he's still a really, really good athlete. And he's also a guy that, that has some physicality to his game. Now, like Oscar, he's got to continue to improve as a blocker. You just don't have to do that as much at the high school level, especially not against the type of players you're going to be playing in the SEC. So he's going to have to work on that, continue to improve. He's going to have to really attack this bye week. This bye week is going to be huge for Lawson Lucky. My big concern with Lawson is how much of the playbook does this guy have mastered? I know he's got a fair amount of it. He's here in the spring. That certainly helps. It helps a lot, actually. But the fact remains, with his ankle injury, he missed literally hundreds of reps, guys. And for a true freshman, that matters. It matters more than it would for a guy like Brock Bowers. Like when Brock comes back from injury, it's just a matter of conditioning. It's not a matter of him like shaking the rust off. Brock's going to be fine. He's got all those years of reps banked. Lawson does not have that. So are we going to have our full arsenal of 12 personnel, our full arsenal of plays from 12 personnel available to us with Lawson in there? I don't know. I'm not sure that we will. I'm not sitting here saying that that won't be the case, that we we won't have access to all of our arsenal of plays from 12 personnel. I just don't know. I think that's a question that we're going to have to watch play out here over the next couple of weeks. But even if we don't, he can master enough of the playbook to allow us to run enough 12 personnel to do a lot of things that we want to do offensively. Pierce Berlin is the other guy. He's going to be the number three tight end now. So if anybody else gets dinged up from that position, knock on wood, please, please don't let that happen. But if anybody else does, it's going to have to be Pierce Sperling. He's the only other scholarship tight end on the roster right now with Eric Gilbert deciding to move on after last year. But I'm not counting on much from Pierce right now unless there's an injury because physically he's just not there yet. He basically operated high school guys as a receiver. Like he essentially played receiver, but everyone knew like long-term he's going to be a tight end. He's got that kind of body, but he has elite receiving skills for a tight end. Absolutely elite receiving skills. Physically, being able to hold up in line and do some of the things that we ask our tight ends to do in the run game, he's not quite there yet. So that's why I would say Lawson ahead of Pierce right now. But who knows? Maybe with his receiving skill set, he'll get some looks, he'll get some opportunities, and maybe make some plays in the pass game. We'll see. I just don't see him as that guy that's going to come in in 12 personnel and be a big time force in the run game for us. I just don't see that from him right now. But I believe in Lawson Lucky. Again, go back to the spring. This guy was on a trajectory to bl to play meaningful, serious snaps for us. And then he got derailed with an injury. And for a true freshman, that's tough, you know. But now here is his opportunity. And I just have a sneaking suspicion that Lawson's going to make the most of it. He seems to be that kind of guy from what I know of him. 
like Brock, like Oscar, he is a worker. He's a guy that puts his head down and goes to work and just cares about getting better. An extremely coachable player, which is what you want in a situation like this. So I'm I'm hopeful that Lawson can be proficient enough to allow us, again, to do a lot of the things in 12 personnel that we want to do offensively. But all right, guys, I'm not quite done yet. A couple other directions I want to take this thing. But before I get there, I do remind you about our friends at Alumni Hall. Guys, the weather is getting chilly. You can feel it in the air. This is football season, baby. This is what I live for. This weather, this time of year, this is heaven on earth to me. But saying that, you also have to be prepared, man. You've got to have that Georgia cold weather gear. You got to get your gear, man. You guys are going to be at some of these games. You're going to be in Jacksonville in a couple weeks. You're going to be here. We take on Missouri. We take on Ole Miss. A lot of you are going to be heading to old Rocky Top in a month or so. And you guys got to get prepared. Make sure to stop in Alumni Hall today, guys. They have a ton of new cold weather gear options for you guys. Whatever you like. Whether you're a hoodie guy like I am, if you like fleeces, if you want the Q-zips, whatever you're looking for, Alumni Hall, guys, they've got you covered. they got all the different brands you could possibly imagine. They have by far the best selection of George gear that you're going to find anywhere. So make sure to stop in today inside the Esprit Shopping Center or online at alumnihall.com to get all of the best Georgia cold weather gear you're going to find anywhere because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldog Shop. All right, guys, I want to wrap this up here real quick. One thing I, I haven't touched on yet that I do want to make sure we talk about here is the impact that Brock's injury can have on our run game. And I know a lot of you are looking at this saying, man, like losing Brock like this, if we can't have our two tight ends on the field, if we don't have Brock, we don't have Oscar on the field like that, that's gonna, that's really going to hurt our run game because that's what we do. We have 12 personnel on the field and we just run the ball down people's throats. And I, I certainly see that perspective and I see where someone will be coming from if that's how you're viewing it. However, I look at it a little bit differently. I have been openly talking about this for a couple of weeks, really all season long. I have been pleading for us to run the football from more spread sets, from 11 personnel sets, from 12 personnel sets too. I'm fine with that, but spreading guys out and not having all that congestion in the box, not having Oscar play in line and have brought in the box as an H-back. I know that we run a lot of split zone stuff off that. I understand that a lot of our offensive run game is built off of that. I do get that. But when we have everything packed in tight like that, what does that do? it makes the box incredibly congested. Because when we bring our guys in like that, how, what does the defense do? Well, of course, they respond by bringing all their guys in because they have to defend those tight ends, right? They have to be in the box in the same area so they can defend them in the pass game. And that creates a lot of traffic there in the box. It's, there's not much room for our running backs to maneuver. And when you bring all those bodies in like that, you, you're always going to have five linemen, right? When you bring two tight ends in line, or one in line and one in the H-back H slot, two guys in the box there, you now have seven blockers. That means you have seven guys that on any given run play need to get their man blocked, right? Because all those guys are in there. If one of those guys misses their block, the play's over. He's got his, his defender makes the play, right? Well, if you spread it out... Now, number one, you remove a lot of those bodies in the box. There's more space. There's more room to maneuver for your running backs to operate in, right? And now, instead of having seven guys that have to make their block in the box, now you only have to have five of them. It's just basic math, guys. You have a better chance of five guys making their block than you do of seven guys making their block on any given play. And some of our most explosive running plays this season, especially all Dylan Bell's, I mean, essentially all of Dylan Bell's running plays have come from a five-man box with spread sets. We have a couple of backs that are good in space. Asian Edwards has got that twitch, man. He's got that shiftiness. He's got those feet. He's got that make-you-miss ability in space. Dylan Bell has that too. 
Heck, even Kendall Milton showed that on Saturday against Vanderbilt. We have some guys that can be dangerous playmakers in space if we give them space to operate in. You guys know that I have been a supporter of Mike Bobo all season. I believe that he's done a fantastic job for us. I've made no secret of that, but I also have made no secret of the fact that I believe there are some things that he could do a little differently that I think could help our offense, and I think this is one of them. In fact, this is my, if I have, a, I don't even know if I want to call it a complaint. It would just be my my suggestion, let's call it, for, for Mike Bobo. Look, Mike knows so much more about football than I could ever dream of knowing. I mean, that, that's clear. But it's just obvious to me. When we're in those sets, we tend to run the ball more effectively than we do on a down-and-down -down basis when we've got all these bodies in the box. So I think in some ways, this might actually possibly be something that in this weird, strange way could potentially help our run game by forcing Mike Bobo to utilize 11 personnel more and spread the field a little bit more when we're running the football. So just keep that in mind. And another thing I want to point out here, another potential silver lining, if we want to say there's a silver lining here, I don't know if there really is a silver lining when you lose a guy like Brock Bowers, a guy of that caliber, but here's one more silver lining in the, the immediate short-term future in terms of our next game against the Florida Gators. I think in this one game against Florida, it's going to make us much more difficult for Florida to prepare for. Because let's be real, you and I do not know exactly what this Georgia offense is going to look like when we suit up in Jacksonville here in a couple of weeks. You and I don't know that, and neither does Austin Armstrong and the Florida defensive coaching staff. They don't know. Now, they they know that we have Dominic Lovett. They know that we have Oscar Delp. They know that we have Lab McConkey. They know the personnel. They know that We've been running a certain type of offense all year. They know what we've done, the different formations. They know what we want to do philosophically. They, they've seen these things on tape. But the loss of Bowers injects some uncertainty into that equation. Is Georgia going to run as much 12 personnel? Are we going to run more 11 personnel? Who are we going to feature now? How are we going to utilize Oscar Dell? How are we going to utilize Lab McConkie? How are we going to utilize Dominic Lovett? What is Lawson Lucky capable of? How are we going to adjust our run game to compensate for the loss of Brock Bowers? These are things that no one knows right now, and that includes the Florida defensive coaching staff. Again, I'm not here to tell you that losing Brock Bowers is going to make this team better. No, it's not. Brock is incredible. But at least in this one game against Florida, I think it might give us a slight edge in terms of preparation because Florida is just simply not going to know exactly what to prepare for. Again, they've seen our formation. They've seen our plays. But are we going to run the exact same formations, the exact same percentage of times? Are we going to use our different players in the same ways that we've been using them with Brock in the game? I think there might be at least a slight bit of edge for us in that regard in this game against Florida in a couple of weeks. So just, just put that in your back pocket. And last thing, guys, last thing here. I want to end on this note. This is not the first time that we have been in this position, even under Kirby Smart and, and before Kirby Smart. Now, I will say that we have never lost anyone as good as Brock Bowers since I've really been watching going back to the late 90s, at least in my recollection. You know, a guy of this caliber, because Brock, again, I think is in the conversation with the greatest Georgia Bulldog of all time. But there are a couple of different times over the past decade or so that we have been in a situation similar to this, where we have lost one of the guys that could be argued to be one of the best players on our team, maybe the best player on our team, and we still found a way to have an answer. Other guys emerged, players that people outside the Georgia fan base didn't really know about. People that our fan base didn't really know were that good until they got their opportunity. And they stepped up and they made the most of it 
and I want to say made us forget about those guys. You can't forget about guys like Brock Bowers, but certainly softened the blow of losing those big-time players. I'm going to go back to 2014, guys. I vividly remember this. I'll never forget this, man. So we were playing Missouri. A lot of you probably remember this. I was on my way to Columbia, Missouri. My wife was driving. I'm sitting in the passenger seat because that's kind of how things roll in our relationship. It's just better for everybody. And one of my buddies texts me. And he's like, girl, he's out. And I'm, I'm like, what, what? I'm, we're halfway to Missouri. We're halfway to Columbia, Missouri. And I'm, I'm losing my mind. It's pouring down rain. I'm, I'm going bananas. I'm losing it. I'm having a panic attack. My wife's just trying to not kill us, try not drive off the interstate. And I'm just apoplectic, guys. I, I, I've lost it. I am, I am no longer of sound mind at that point because I, I just like our season's over, man. It's, it's done. Like, girly's gone. And you know what, you guys, what happened there? What he meant was, if you guys remember, that was uh, when the uh, word came down that Todd was in a missed time with the old NCAA violation, signing autographs, all that kind of stuff, right? Well, all that stuff that'd be perfectly legal now, which wasn't legal back then, and. Uh, uh, that's when we got that word, and I'm sitting there like, we're going to lose this game. I'm driving all the way to Columbia, Missouri, or I'm sitting in this passenger seat with my wife is driving all the way to Columbia, Missouri, because she's incredible like that, and we're going to lose this game. It's going to suck. I, I remember getting there on Friday night, so we we leave on we leave on Thursday. We, we drive like halfway. We drive, well, last this last time in, 20, I guess, last season, we flew for the first time, but previously, we drove every time. We drive to Metropolis, Illinois, the middle of freaking nowhere, America. There's just random Harris Casino, Metropolis, Illinois. Yes, that Metropolis, Illinois, Superman stuff, yes. And we'd stay there, and then we'd drive the rest of the way to Columbia on Friday morning, get there around lunchtime. And so I, I and I, guys, I love Columbia, Missouri. I've, I've made that clear. If you guys have been listening for a long time, you know, you newer listeners, I love Columbia, Missouri. It's my second favorite college town in the SEC behind Athens. I mean, Athens is untouchable, but it's the closest thing to Athens that I have come across, and I go to all of the games. So I've been to a lot of college campuses, and uh, I love Columbia, Missouri. I look forward to going every other year, and I'm actually devastated now with this. Like To me, the, the biggest loss of this whole realignment thing with Texas and Oklahoma coming in is that now we don't get to go to Missouri every other year. I know most of you do not care about that, but I love that trip. I cherish that trip. And so I got to Columbia that Friday morning, and instead of being just a stack like I normally am, just like a kid in a candy shop, just on a college campus, fall Saturday, I'm just devastated, man. I'm just moping around like, oh, I just got no chance. I'm just, it's terrible. And then what happened? you guys remember what happens? Nick Chubb happened, right? This guy that we knew about, like we knew he was going to be a good football player, right? Done some nice things at the Clemson game the first game of the year, right? Shoe came off, ran for a touchdown. We knew he was a good player. We didn't know he was Nick Chubb. We didn't know he was that. We found out, though. We found out real quick. We found out that day in Columbia. Man, that was... Uh, that was awesome, man. And I was just like, I go from like the depths of despair. It's like, oh my God, Nick Chubb. Oh my God. And I'm not saying that's going to happen here with Brock Bowers. I'm not saying that's going to happen with Oscar Delp. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I'm just saying we've been in this spot before. And I'm an old man now, guys. I keep telling you that I'm an old man. I've experienced a lot of this. In the past, when guys go down like this, I, I just lose it, man. I'm like, oh my God, the season's over. But I've seen it so many times now, the season wasn't over. I mean, let's go back to the pre, what, spring practice of 2021, right? Who goes down? George Pickens. I remember, I, again, I remember this. I was going to a tennis lesson. I was going to a tennis lesson. It was, I want to say that was, what would that been, a Wednesday night? It was an evening around like five or six o'clock. And I get back to my car and it's like, he's he's out. And I remember actually coming back at the same, we heard about Jermaine Burton later, right? I'm like, oh my God. Like, there's no way that we're going to be any good this season. Like, we're losing George, we're losing Jermaine. Like, what? we got no chance. And what happens? Well, this guy named Brock Bowers comes from Napa, California and becomes Brock Bowers in year one. And kind of, I don't want to say makes us free about George Pickens, but compensates for that loss. 
I mean, same year, 2021. We all came into that year after the COVID season. JT Daniels was the guy, right? We were all talking about how excited we were about JT Daniels after how he ended the season. 400-yard passing game, the first 400-yard passing game in, in uh, Kirby Smart's tenure for a quarterback, right? Against Mississippi State. We all believed he was the answer. He was the guy that we'd been missing, right? It was him. He was in. He was going to solve the problem. He was going to lead to national title. Well, Clemson comes and goes, gets injured. Stetson comes in. JT comes back. We're whew, we a sigh of relief. Then the, the oblique flares up again, and now Stetson's back in, and we're like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And then what happens? Stetson Bennett happened, right? We win a national championship. Then we win another national championship the next year. Last year, A.D. Mitchell goes down week two. Most talented receiver on the team. Did that cost us? No, it didn't. Why not? Because we have a lot of good players, guys. We, again, have one of the two or three most talented rosters in the country. We are better equipped than really just about any team in the country to withstand these types of losses. And again, I'm not saying that Brock is a replaceable player. Like, you don't have another Brock Bowers on the team. Nobody does. But that doesn't mean that we don't have some players that can still go out and make plays for us and be good enough for us to beat all the teams on the rest of our regular season schedule. One of the things that I have learned over the past four or five years, especially the last three years, I have learned to trust this coaching staff. I trust Kirby Smart almost implicitly. I'm not saying it's everything right. He doesn't get everything right. Nobody does. Nobody's perfect, right? Don't hold anyone to that standard. But this man does not rest. He will not rest in the absence of Brock Bowers. He will make sure this team is prepared. Mike Bobo will not rest. Mike Bobo will make sure this team is prepared. It might not look the same. The margins will likely be closer. We will likely get pushed more than we otherwise would have with Brock Bowers in the game. But I still believe that we have what it takes to overcome this temporary loss of Brock Bowers. I still believe this team is better than each of the last five teams on our schedule. I still believe that we should win the SEC East. I still believe that we should get to Atlanta unscathed. I know that it hurts to lose Brock Bowers. Really, for me, more than anything, I'm just sad that I'm not going to get to see the guys suit up as much. I just love watching him play, man. I'm hopeful that we get at least three more games with him. I'm hopeful, man. I really, really am. I don't know. I don't know. None of us know. But I'm just going to miss seeing him out there. Just the way the guy plays, I've just become so used to it. And I and I cherish him, man. I, I've, I've learned to cherish these things. I cherish watching Brock Bowers play. And I don't use that word lightly. I truly enjoy watching that man play. He's an old school throwback player. And you just don't see guys play like that, man. So I'm going to miss that. And it's a shame that now he's not going to get the 1,000 yards. You know, it's still going to have one receiver in the history of Georgia football with 1,000 yards of this season. It's a shame that now he's he's not going to win the the uh, Mackey Award for a second consecutive year. It's a shame that he's going to be out of the Heisman Trophy conversation because that's where he deserves to be in. All, that, that's, all that's a shame. But yeah, I know it hurts to lose Brock Bowers. But all hope is not lost. This team still has what it takes to win the SEC and put itself in position to defend its national championship. But all right, guys, that's all I got for today. I think I've kind of exhausted all the thoughts I had in my mind. I hope this made sense. I know it probably got rambling at some point, but I want to get on here and, and get this out to you guys as quickly as I possibly could. So doing this episode is going to change some things for me this week. So I was going to do an episode detailing the 10 things I want to see from this team moving forward the rest of the season, but I opted to do this episode instead, so I'll be back with the mailbag episode. I kind of inverted a little bit. I was running the mailbag today, but we're going to do that later in the week because I want to get this episode out to you guys, so I'll have those mailbag questions answered for you guys later this week, and then Charlie will help me wrap things up this week with our picks of the week, and the next week, Curtis and I will open the week 
with our mid-season report card, and then we'll get into our typical game week stuff. But alright guys, thanks for being here. Stay strong, stay strong. We're not out of this thing, but I appreciate you guys. I'm Tyler, and of course, as always, Go dogs!